0: Alright, let's do this one last time. I'm Ethan Hawker, and with me I have Spider-Man. I'm Tanner Richard Kraft.
1: I'm Nick Lewis,
2: but you might know me as the Crime Master. I am Dark Garfield.
3: I am Laurel Kratz.
0: <laughs> oh I'm Tim, by the way. Uh and for the last 49 seconds, you've been watching the one and only Bomb Squad Movie Night on the spectacular 2023 animated superhero sequel, Spider-Man, Across the Spider-Verse. But before we dive right into the meat of today's discussion, I would like to introduce Laurel, the latest addition to the Bomb Squad, not a special guest, but a special new member person. And I just want to give her a very brief moment to introduce herself, because this is also the, the most populous uh, recording we've ever done with seven whole people.
3: Hello everyone, Uh, I'm Laurel. I have technically been a part of the bomb squad since fall, but my first movie night that I'm on is not until June. And so it seems fitting that I'm coming on specifically for Across the Spider-Verse because I like animation. I studied animation at Webster and I am a production coordinator now. So I like the producing side of animation. So I'm here to talk about spiders and to join the squad and join the gang. It's my debut.
0: I'm really excited to have you. But no more preamble. Right on to the discussion uh, with our warm-up question. Who is your favorite spider person that is not Peter Parker or Miles Morales? Starting us off, Joe.
4: I'm going to keep my answer short and straight to the point. Spider cat, because I love cats.
5: I has cat. Cats rock, baby.
0: Hell yeah. No, completely agree. Uh, Tim.
5: (laughs) I mean, it's got to be Hobie, baby. He's an anarchist. We love to see it. Absolutely, he's so stylish. Tanner, favorite spider person. Unfortunately, I think I might be stealing your
6: answer here, Ethan, uh, because my answer is Spider-Girl, aka Parker. One of my favorite spider stories of the 21st century is that ongoing Spider-Girl comic. It's uh, really cool to see that sort of different dynamic with the parents and, like, Spider-Man passing the torch down to his daughter.
0: Yeah, no, uh, I I love Spider-Girl. You did, in fact, steal my answer, and I will never forgive you for this crime. (laughs) I'm also particularly (laughs) excited to see if they do anything more with Mayday, since she does crop up in this feature. R.I.P. to Peter in the next film, if it does. Uh-huh. But, uh, Austin.
2: Probably Peter Parked Car, who I had no idea was <laughs> a real character that had been around in the comics since 2015. Definitely going with the
1: car. I want a car. Chicks dig the car.
4: Wayne,
0: <laughs> who's your favorite spider person?
1: Ah, uh, man. So, if we're talking about the movie specifically, I would say Spider Punk. Uh, I'll just copy paste him's answer by, uh, would take first place. Indian Spider Man, theory close second. He has great
0: hair. Fair, completely fair. Those are both two great ones. Laurel, favorite spider person?
3: I am going to go with Gwen on this one because I really liked what they did with her character and I liked how she was integrated in sort of like the multiverse and the whole idea of like what's canon. And so I am very excited to see her in the next film and how that plays out. So I'm going to go with Gwen, excluding Miles, of course.
0: No, that's completely <laughs> fair, I think. Uh, particularly uh, Gwen as a character is uh, really interesting. It's very much like, as much as that classic story of the original Gwen Stacy dying is significant, and a good story in my opinion, it's also, you know, a character dying for the character development of a man, ultimately. So getting to see that character explored in a new space in her comics and in incarnation and uh, in these films is really exciting and cool. Certainly better than the other time she survived in Hombre Araña, the man Mexican Spider-Man comics, where uh, where they, they do different things with her when she survives. Let's say that.
2: Hey, are these your drawings?
4: What?
5: No. No. Good.
0: As for me, since Tanner stole my actual answer, so now I don't have an answer prepared. Thanks. will <laughs> mention goes to Takuya Yamashiro, the Spider-Man in Toei's 1978 Tokusatsu Holy series, granted powers and a giant robot named Leo Pardon by the last survivor of the planet Spider. It's the first Tokusatsu series by Toei to include a giant robot, which would then be adopted by Battle Fever J and like all succeeding Super Sentai shows. So the reason that the Power Rangers have a Megazord is directly tied in to Spider-Man. But my uh, my actual favorite is uh, Yukomori, the Spider-Man featured in the Ryoichi Ikegami Illustrated... Kose Ono and later uh, Kazumasa Hirai written manga adaptation of the character. It's a lot more melodramatic um, and really well drawn. Uh, Ikigami famously did like F- Crying Freeman and a bunch of really great sort of like Gekiga manga and uh, that's, that's where the, the picture for today is from actually. Uh, the first chunk of stories for that are more traditional like with Spider-Man villains and then it just goes completely off the rails. Once Hirai takes over um, there's, there's a long protracted bit about the dangers of marijuana the worst super drug in the world where Spider-Man literally doesn't dress up as Spider-Man for several issues on end. But that's my favorite. Moving on into the subject of today's recordings, I want to ask, what were your guys' expectations for Across the Spider-Verse after the huge, like, massive sort of cultural phenomenon that was Into the Spider-Verse? Leading us off, Tim...
5: Yeah, I mean, I guess my expectations was that I mean, it was probably going to be very good just coming from the people who made the original because that first movie is probably my favorite Spider-Man movie. Uh, like, It's kind of going into my thoughts on the movie, I guess. Uh, it's kind of neck and neck between the first and second Spider-Verse movie. I just I loved the art. It was a very creative movie, and so I was just excited to see more of that. And she's interested to see where they take it. Hell yeah. No,
0: I completely agree. Very excited to see where it goes in beyond.
3: A minus in English. She's a tough grader. And a B in Spanish. I had no idea what you're doing.
0: Tanner, expectations for a cross after Into the Spider-Verse.
6: I actually um, was a little uh, slightly nervous expectations-wise going in because I remember when that first Into the Spider-Verse movie was coming out, I was not actually that interested at all leading up to it. I um, wasn't really keen on the Sony-focused Spider-Man productions. It sounded like it was just trying to do this weird multiverse gimmick, which I wasn't super into just on its face. And really the only reason I had any excitement for the original one was because a friend of mine was super into it. And then when I saw the first Spider-Verse, it blew my goddamn mind. It showed me things that CG animation was capable of doing that for some reason, I guess nobody else thought of doing yet. And I understand a lot of it is technological advancements, but like all the creatives had the drive to make those technological advancements happen for the sake of the art. But by the same token, it felt like such perfect lightning in a bottle that I thought the idea of actually replicating it was gonna be close to impossible. None of the directors from the first one was returning. Lord and Miller were, but like none of the directors were returning, which made me somewhat nervous until I learned one of the directors of Across the Spider-Verse was Kemp Powers, the co-director of the 2020 Pixar movie Soul, which was my favorite movie of 2020. I thought at least if he was at the helm, there was some sort of potential here. Then the first trailer dropped, and I felt like all of my nervousness about it not living up to the original went away as I saw Miguel literally chasing Miles through like seven universes, and I was like, oh, okay, they know what they're doing, I trust them again.
0: That's completely fair. Like, when you're following up such a special film like that, there's you can be kind of reserved, especially when it's like, oh, we're, we're splitting it into two movies now. It's, it's getting kind of unwieldy, and it's like, oh, is that going to affect the pace? But, uh, Joe?
4: Interestingly enough, I had, like, next to no expectations for it. I just kind of hoped that it was good. And I guess that'll kind of lead to my thoughts on Into the Spider-Verse, which I've only seen once, and I did not see it in the theaters, and there is a reason for that. I was on a all-Marvel boycott around that time because uh, Disney happened to uh, fire a certain director that I really like. <laughs> dumb reasons, I know, but I was standing by my fucking principles and I was not supporting Marvel in any way, shape, or form, even if it was a Sony movie. But I, I would eventually see Spider-Verse because they eventually brought James Gunn back. And I really liked it. I think it's a really good Spider-Man story, and it's just a really good movie overall. I bought the 4K, and so like, of, of course, I liked it enough to where I would own it on like physical media. I, I need to watch it again because I want to see this movie play first, and then immediately see the second one after.
2: My name is Miles Morales, and I'm Brooklyn's one and only Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, I think that's, again, completely fair. I think the first one, obviously most films benefit from seeing it on the big screen with a crowd of people who are similarly enthused, but I think that it could leave such a positive impression on you even watching it on home video, uh, is good and cool, representative of the quality of this picture. But no, Austin, expectations for a cross after Into the Spider-Verse?
2: I tell you what, the Foundry software is going to sell like hotcakes. Nuke, Mari, Katana, sales are going up. Okay, so this movie has three, count them, three directors, right? Joaquin Dos Santos, whose work I don't know much about because he's an animated TV guy, but he directed the last two episodes of Sozin's Comet, the Avatar series finale, and I know people completely adored the way that show ended. Uh, Justin K. Thompson, who's basically been a production designer up until now on, like, the Little Big Planet games and the Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs franchise. Love Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Anybody who says otherwise is a dick. Then, there's Kemp Powers, who as Tanner pointed out was one of the co-directors on Soul, one of the three screenwriters on Soul. When you add all of this math together up beforehand, frankly, it's a big mess that doesn't help you predict what Across the Spider-Verse is gonna be like. But I wanted to run through these dudes real quick because the reason that they're here will make sense later. Uh, double time now. I rewatched the trailers to try to remember what I was expecting before this movie socked me in the face with its sheer fucking might. And I think I was expecting a movie where Spider-Man 2099, like, brought everybody together, but he was secretly the bad guy hiding in plain sight. He would use his sway initially to get people to hate Miles, but then Miles would expose him for being a bastard, and then they'd fight it out across the multiverse, like in that one trailer. One thing that was never in question, though, was whether or not the movie was gonna be good. That was a constant, like the sun rising in the East. I knew for a fact it was at least gonna be good. That's all I got. Back to you, Ethan.
0: Even when I wasn't sure if it would be as good as that uh, that original, I knew it was gonna be good. Uh, Even with the sort of reshuffling that happened there. But Laurel, your expectations for Across after Into the Spider Verse?
3: I'm gonna echo Tanner's answer a little bit here. I adore the first film as a lot of people do. I saw it four times in theaters. I completely fell in love with it. So I did not watch any trailers for Across the Spider Verse. The only trailer I watched was like that ending that said like, "Oh, this is gonna be a part two. And kind of what Tanner said. I was nervous because the first film was just so special in what it did for the industry and how it moved the art form forward that I was kind of skeptical of like, okay, we know it's going to look good because it's going to take cues from the first one, but I was skeptical that they would be able to replicate such a special film with just just told so uniquely and so specially with the characters and kind of what they did with the first one that I was excited to see across the Spider-Verse, but I didn't have insanely high hopes because I just didn't think that they would be able to take the highs of the first one and translate that into like a sequel, especially because since I didn't watch the trailer, I didn't really look into it because I like going into movies kind of blind. I think that I was a little worried that the story might suffer that they were just going to kind of ride off the coattails of the visuals and just kind of go with that success. Because they were like, oh, the first one was a huge success. Let's make a second one, get a lot of money, and just go from there. So I kind of went in hesitantly optimistic about Across the Spider-Verse. Let's see Let's Go. Thread the needle. Shh. All we had to do was follow the damn train, CJ. Those were my initial thoughts, and some of them were proven wrong, and others were proved a little bit right.
0: It's fair to be cagey about going into a movie after, you know, such an incredible first entry. But rain. Expectations for Across the Spider-Verse after Into.
1: The first one was beautiful, perfect, and amazing. I heard whispers about how this one from, like, early buzz was also Beautiful, perfect, amazing. So I was like, okay, cool, awesome. I was even more excited back in July. Well, I was supposed to go to a test screening and be one of the test audiences. But then I got there on time, but there were people who camped out since like 9 a.m. I was supposed to be there at 1 p.m. I got there at 1 p.m. But there were too many people, so I, um, I didn't get to go, and they just gave me a ten dollars Amazon gift card instead. So I had to wait a month to see it. I'm still mad at that, but I was still excited regardless. The end. Also, I thought about it more, and I also kind of like *Superior Spider-Man*. <laughs> the execution wasn't great, but I like the concept of him. The end.
6: You said back in July. July's next month.
1: <laughs> yeah, I meant to say like May or April. No, it's fair. July, May, both end with Ys. I think Beautiful,
0: Perfect, and Amazing. Yeah, th- those are accurate assessments of potentially both of these films, depending on who you are. I don't like committing to things.
3: Oh yeah, you were supposed to be here, Fine. All right, whatever. Well, who do you think you are? Really? And name?
0: As for me, my expectations, they were still pretty high. I went into this when like, yeah, this is gonna be good. Uh, Into the Spider-Verse was my favorite superhero film ever made, up until just over a week ago as of recording this, and it still remains exceptional. I revisited it a couple times and listened to the commentary track in preparation for this. Uh, It remains just an extremely tight origin film, managing to pack in a whole gaggle of spider folk in a way that never feels like it's straining, finding a careful balance between comedy and melodrama always well, maintaining that central core sort of conceit of Spider-Man as a normal person thrust into position of great power. Uh, beyond that, of course, it's a visual feast, uh, really pushing CG in a way that no mainstream US feature had up to that point. Um, exploring staggered frame rates in particular in a way that gives a great deal more control over how stylized movement is depicted. And like they would uh, frequently, and in this picture as well, like sculpt characters um, differently and really explore squash and stretch in a way that had been done to some extent in other films. But I think that's sort of the trick. It's not just, you know, reducing the amount of effort on your rigs rendering this thing, you know, since you only have to render half as many frames, it gives you a lot more kind of wiggle room to explore, explore like, digital smearing on top of, you know, the the more obvious stuff, like the variety of textures, hand-drawn elements applied and textured on top of these characters, different styles for specific characters that all still gel, like, perfectly, um, even with that level of contrast. So going into this one, even with that shuffling of a lot of the creative staff to various different positions, you will find that a lot of the staff that was involved in the first one are still here uh, in some capacity, uh, whether it be, you know, moving, shifting from, like, director to executive producer, writer shuffling roles, that sort of thing, and the introduction of new creative talent. um, I was still confident that Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse would at the very least be an excellent follow-up, if not quite up to snuff with its predecessor. Was I right? Uh, I'll go into detail on it here. Uh, After this brief ad break, Spider-Fans... So are you like a cow or a Dalmatian? I am the spot. (laughs) That's not funny. Excelsior, true believers. It's Ethan, Stan, The Man, Lee, Hawker, here to follow up your ad with another ad! (laughs) If you like the Spider-Verse films, then you definitely have a vested interest in the color palettes of films. So, if you'd like a very special high-quality canvas print of a collage of the primary colors from each scene of your favorite film, why don't you check out MoviePalette.com And if you don't see a print for your favorite film, you can always pay just a bit more for your own custom print um, to make up for that modest fee, or save a few bucks on an existing print, be sure to use the code SQUAD15 for a 15% discount on your order. That kicks some cash back to us uh, and saves you a bit of money. Good deal. And now, back to the Spider-Verse with our overall thoughts.
1: Now I'm Stan Lee.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You look like middle-aged Travis (laughs) Touchdown. Overall thoughts on Across the Spider-Verse. Let me see. Tanner, would you like to lead us off here?
6: So, like I was said before, I was a little nervous going in, even though the first trailer made me very excited for it, thinking it could uh, match up. What I wasn't expecting was basically everything I love about the first movie dialed up to 11, and with a bazillion things added. Let me get all the uh, nerdy shit out of the way. Holy shit! Spectacular Spider-Man was in there. Ah! Spectacular Spider-Man was my favorite Spider-Man cartoon, so it was so cool to see Josh Keaton voice him again. I loved, you know, uh, seeing Miguel O'Hara, Peter Parked Car. You even get like some deeper cuts, sort of like Doppelganger, which was uh, something that originates all the way back from Secret Wars, like the original Secret Wars from the 1980s. Now that I got all my nerdy shit out of my system, uh, I I wanna touch upon uh, the one critique I have of the movie, which is I don't think the soundtrack is as good as the first movie soundtrack. I agree. There's not a song nearly as good as Sunflower on this one. There's not a song nearly especially nearly as good as What's Up Danger. However, I think the movie makes up for it by having an incredible score. I wasn't too impressed with the first movie score outside from the main theme. But in this one, all these characters have these unique scores. And I love the way they're intertwining. Like everyone keeps telling me how my story is supposed to go. <laughs> I'm going to do my own. It's such a visual feast for the eyes. It's all these different visual styles perfectly blending, uh, especially Spider-Punk. Shout out to Spider-Punk. I fucking love how, like, in the last movie, it was such a cool thing how they would render Miles at a different frame rate than they would render the scene around him. And uh, in this one, they took that, like, seven steps further by rendering different articles of clothing on Spider-Punk's body at different frame rates. I can't even begin to imagine how obscenely difficult that must have been. But what I really love is that it never feels like like, the multiverse, the cameo, the nerdy shit distracts from the story that's being told here. Like, uh, when Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness came out last year, a movie I quite enjoy, the movie kind of grinds to a halt as they get all the multiverse cameos out of the way, while in this one, the multiverse cameos feel just perfectly integrated into the story. I love all the returning characters from last one, especially Gwen, who feels like a co-lead in this one, and I think the emotional arc of the movie really settles around her character and her character arc. Let's just get Off the bat, this movie ends with a massive cliffhanger, and there are some fair complaints that it feels like half a movie. But for me, the scene with Gwen and her dad and her dad finally accepting the Spider-Woman stuff for what it is, that that sort of felt like an emotional closure on the movie that helped make the cliffhanger work. I love Peter B. Parker returning. I've come to the conclusion that the Peter Parker in these movies is probably my favorite Peter Parker in any Spidey adaptation for a very particular reason, which is that uh, this is the same Peter Parker I've always known and loved my whole life, being allowed to grow up. But the number one thing I'm a fan of is specifically is how the multiverse feels like a very specific theme. Miguel's whole thing is that he says, spider people have these canon events. They have to lose, you know, a parental figure. They have to lose a police captain they're close to. These things need to happen in order for you to be Spider-Man, in order for you to be a hero. You're not allowed to evolve being past a broke, late teenager, early 20-something Peter Parker because Marvel Editorial is afraid that if they let you fucking grow up, that all of a sudden their comic sales are gonna go down, so your character just stagnates for 20 goddamn years in the comics. The multiverse aspect felt like a very pointed critique of Marvel Editorial that I very much appreciated in how they refused to let Peter Parker grow. And meanwhile, Miguel is saying that same thing in the same movie. Peter B. Parker is a father. He's married. He's worked things out with Mary Jane instead of selling his marriage to the devil in order to fucking save that. Man. Fantasy. And I believe in the next movie when they show that Miguel is just wrong about canon events and how they hold the fabric of reality together. Peter's allowed to grow, Spider-People are allowed to be something else, and it feels like an ultimate continuation of the last movie where the last movie's primary theme was anyone can be Spider-Man. This just feels like a natural evolution of it, you know, it's like Spider-People evolve, Spider-People change because anyone can be Spider-Man and anyone can be anything.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's completely fair, Uh, particularly that critique of Marvel Editorial. Um, I definitely kind of glommed on that to my Myself as someone who sort of grew apart from comic books a bit more as I grew up, partly because of that sort of stagnation of character in a lot of the mainstream, like big two titles. But Joe, overall thoughts? oh
4: uh, man. Okay, so I no longer have a favorite movie of the year because right now it's a fucking tie. I really fucking love this movie. <laughs> I-, I saw it twice in one day, uh, thanks to my work. I want to say, like, once every, like, some odd years, you just get one of those movies that just completely shifts the paradigm of whatever, like, type of movie it is, whether it be animation, live action, what have you. It's, like, perfect examples, uh, Mad Max Fury Road, social network, movies like that. And you could argue Into the Spider-Verse is one of them. I would also argue that Across the Spider-Verse is one of those movies because it takes literally everything that worked about that first movie and just does it somehow better from a complete fucking storytelling perspective. It's wonderful. It, it is a part one, yes, but it's got a very clear beginning, middle, and end. That opening act specifically might be one of my favorite opening. It, it Honestly, it's just my favorite scenes like of the decade right now. Gwen specifically has a really good character arc that is actually followed through to the end. And it's nice that a part one does end with an arc kind of concluding. Not a lot of part ones do that. The spot is in my top three favorite Spider-Man villains ever, and he's he's in this about as much as Agent Smith is in The Matrix Reloaded, <laughs> um, and yet <laughs> he leaves more of an impact than Agent Smith in Matrix Reloaded. He's also much more intimidating than Agent Smith in Matrix Reloaded, and I love that movie. Like, you understand completely where he is coming from with, like, very little screen time that he does have. Jason Jason Schwartzman, that, that, that man just knows how to play villains for looking like the dorkiest motherfucker on the planet, right next to Michael Sarah.
3: You have a choice between saving one person and saving Chuck Testa. To me, that's an obvious choice. Nope,
4: they're dead. It's still now Spider-Man 2. I love Spider-Man 2 more than this. However, it's my second favorite Spider-Man movie and just one of my favorite Spider-Man things, period. Because while it is also a critique of Spider-Man, it also just unabashedly loves Spider-Man. From cameos to just the way that the story's told, I could honestly fucking go on all day. Um, I guess I'll just end it with (laughs) as someone who's experienced some loss (laughs) recently, losing a best friend, hearing some of the lines in this, really fucking hit home. In particular, Jessica Drews and uh, Gwen, they're like, didn't you lose someone? I did. I got over it. That really fucking hit home. Great fucking movie. Loved it. Go see it. Uh, If you're going to a specific movie theater chain, or really just any movie theater chain, and it's busy, please be nice to the theater staff. Uh, I ask someone who works at a movie theater, back to you,
5: Ethan.
0: Yeah, no, um, that opening sequence, in particular, I think uh, is really remarkable. I feel like that's the uh, up-opening of superhero films, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. Obviously, it's a bit more wordy, but you still get a lot in that uh, visual storytelling and uh, completing an entire miniature narrative um, in highly compressed period of time.
4: You also don't get a line as funny as it looks like a Banksy (laughs) in (laughs) up, unfortunately.
5: Best callback to the first one right there. (laughs) All right, Tim, overall thoughts? Uh, I quite liked it. I think it's kind of neck and neck with the first one. I think my one issue with this is that it very much is just a whole second act and the first one is a little more self-contained as like a standalone film but this one does like and basically every element of animation up to 11 and yeah just just very creative with all of the ways that it did its cameos like I love the little insomniac thing where it's just the CG from the game that was very funny (laughs) I do want to talk a bit about uh, the Gwen arc uh, specifically the trans allegory aspect of it a few years ago somebody close to me came out as non-binary and uh, their parents didn't take that particularly well and the reasons that they cited for that was because they didn't like the way that they went about it which when Gwen's dad said how long have you been lying to me like that really resonated with me because I thought about that and uh, I think the way that this character arc kind of comes to a head with Gwen's dad finally accepting her makes me hopeful because it's sort of an issue of it's not that he doesn't love of her it's that he can't wrap his head around it and I think that that was a really like good and nuanced take on that but yeah a lot of good stuff the cliffhanger is a big fucking cliffhanger but like it's the kind of cliffhanger that makes you fucking excited for the next one like <laughs> hell yeah I'm, I'm there as soon as I can get there but you take your time you, you make this movie as good as you fucking can uh, back <laughs> to you Ethan
0: no, absolutely. Uh, particularly, I've you know, seen murmurings about um, particularly Gwen and uh, uh, reading trans allegory to that, and I think that's completely, uh, it's good. That's positive that people can uh, particularly see themselves in that character, um, and I'm excited that uh, folks have that representation. But moving on, Rain, overall thoughts on the picture.
1: All right, just like the last one, this is also beautiful, perfect, and amazing. Do I uh,
5: have web on my face? What's the deal? Miles!
6: He's right there! He's right in- See
5: you in the bus.
1: just to keep things concise, I decided I'll just p- focus on some stuff that I think might be kind of unique or just stuff that I uh, really wanted to talk about. And anything else about the movie is like, what do you think of the plot? What do you think of the, the art style? What do you think of every other thing? I'll just just imagine Beautiful Perfect Amazing is my answer. So I want to start <laughs> by saying that I um I probably want to piss a bunch of baby boomers off saying this, but like, there's not too many other examples I can think of of a movie that or, or just a piece of media where it's like, where the content is so strong, like so artistically innovative, but also like the the most popular thing ever the only other example like like one of the examples that just kept screaming to me was the beatles just something where it's like commercially and artistically just like the most popular thing right now and justifiably so
0: yeah more insect themed media
1: oh yeah (laughs) shit Anyway, the one crap I did have with the movie at first for a good while was the whole, like, it's only half of a movie thing. Part of it was, like, me, I think, just being subconsciously putting maybe too much of an emphasis on features needing to be standalone compared to, like, other media. That's where I'm more fine with it. The idea of it being serialized. But then I came around to it once I realized how, even though to a large degree this trilogy is going to be Miles' story, that, um, I'm not quite sure he has a complete arc yet, really, in this movie. I don't think you can quite say that. I think you can say that more or less with Gwen. And once I uh, realized that, I was able to Appreciate the movie a lot more. Once that came in place for me, then I was like, okay, this feels like a complete story now. At least enough for me not to complain about that. Something else I want to say is that the spot, I love his, you know, a great quintessentially comic booky design. I love him as like a threat, especially the way he's portrayed, it's just as like Eldritch Monster. But the whole, um, I want to be able to take it seriously thing, that, I don't know, it's, it's not like a bad motivation. I just feel like it's a bit, for a movie that has just so much going on, I feel like it could have used more meat. His, uh, the character's motivation. It's fine enough, it, uh, gets the point across. And also, villain with a great design, but pretty standard motivations. It's pretty in keeping with, uh, the last movie, uh, with how Kingpin was executed there, so can only complain so much. And also, I guess I think it's interesting how both characters, him and Miles, are both inadvertently responsible for the other's backstory. That's the only kind of like thing that I thought was, like, significantly interesting about the character beyond, again, the visuals. But yeah, it's a perfect movie. I would have had more to say, but when a movie is, like, so good, at a certain point, it just becomes, like, too difficult to really have too much to say about
0: it. Yeah, no, uh, I definitely get that. Just a really remarkable film on, on so many aspects. Austin, overall thoughts on the film?
2: All right, let's talk numbers real quick. Some of this data isn't usually calculated for every animated production, but it helps me to illustrate my grander point. So the average number of, like animation people on one of these big studio animated movies is usually like 150 to 500 people, give or take. Across the Spider-Verse had over 1,000 animators who worked on the project, setting an actual record. Now, if you bundled together all the hours of all the people who worked on the movie, you get the measurement of what's called man hours. Toy Story took 150 years worth of man hours to make. Shrek took 259 years. And according to one of this movie's directors, Across the Spider-Verse took 753 years worth of man hours (laughs) to create. It's the longest animated Hollywood film to date and quite possibly the most complex. Earlier, I talked about the three directors uh, across the Spider-Verse, only one of which who had actually directed multiple projects before, and his teammates, the writer and the production designer. The reasons they're together might be something complicated, like the fact production design is so huge in this film, they needed a whole guy, or uh, having a previous Pixar writer help them navigate a story this big. Uh, But it could be as simple as, like, the more the merrier. This was too much movie for one or even two people to handle. Back when I saw it everything everywhere all at once. It felt like a movie that took twice as much effort as a normal movie to make. And I can easily say across the Spider-Verse, ...beats its ass in scale and, like, the complexity department. I absolutely didn't see this film's big technical gimmick coming. Sony Pictures Animation and Imageworks spent four years with Into the Spider-Verse figuring out how one of these is supposed to look. And with this movie, they took that foundation and dropped dozens of famous (laughs) graphic styles into the pipeline. Like a watercolor city, Da Vinci sketch monster, an anarchist made of newspaper clippings... Uh, the first time I saw this movie, I was just fucking shocked. It was like I'd taken mushrooms and gone through an entire trip. I've never seen a children's movie this ambitious in my entire life, and there are a few films in general that take you on such an overwhelming visual journey, and on top of the revolutionary animation, as everyone else has said, the story, the jokes, the music, all top of the line. I would give this a 10 out of 10, cliffhanger and all, just for the experience that it gave me seeing it in the theater for the first time. I look forward to early August, when some of these tools are presented at SIGGRAPH, Uh, we're in exciting new territory and that bodes well for all animated films going forward.
0: Absolutely. 110%. It's absolutely in the same way Into the Spider-Verse was a movie that makes you excited about the future of the medium as much as it does as its own self-contained sort of piece. Speaking of the the animation, the animation professional in the room, uh, Laurel, what were your overall thoughts on Across the Spider-Verse?
3: Yeah, uh, there are so many so I'm gonna try to kind of boil this down to just some takeaways for me that I keep coming back to because I've I've seen it three times. I've thought about it a lot. So many things going in my head. We've all mentioned, like the visuals are absolutely stunning. And I think that we all talk about the characters and how they look. But I think one thing that this movie did exceptionally well with growing the visuals from the first film is the environments and backgrounds. Because for the first film, for Into the Spider-Verse, for the most part, we stay in one dimension. We see glimpses of other dimensions, but we really only see like 1610 Brooklyn. And I think that the way that... They grew the style not just through how like Hobie was animated but through Gwen's dimension and the like unconventional like background colors and how it's like almost abstract Mm -hmm. I think is just gorgeous (laughs) Um, and so I was very pleased to see because we already knew from Into the Spider-Verse that they can animate characters in different styles and have it look seamless so to see them just so flawlessly be like oh we can do that in places too was an absolute treat I love the first like 20 minutes of the film because I think the backgrounds and it's particularly the shot that is just stuck in my head is when Gwen runs to her dad and gives him a hug and the warm colors like take over the cool tones of the room. It's just, they really knocked it out of the park with the visuals, not just the characters. Um, but segueing into the characters, this movie has so many <laughs> and I think that it should be acknowledged that the film handles the characters so well with having so many. I feel like Like with so many characters, a lot of them like got their moment. You really feel like you get to know the new characters and even feel like you get to know the old characters. Like Peter B. Parker was my favorite from the first movie and I actually really liked how he kind of took a backseat to Gwen in this movie um, because he got so much development with him and Miles in the first film and you see how that seamlessly like kind of flows into the second film with that moment he has with Miles about talking about why he had Mayday, like what kind of inspired him to have the child um, based on his interactions with Miles. So I think that they balanced out the old characters really well and how they get attention. And one aspect that I don't see many people talking about is Miles' parents. I really really love how Miles' mom has a bit more of an like, a active role in this film. I mean the film was able to really build on Miles' relationship with his father as well as his mother. So you get sort of just a well-rounded, complete like 3D view at Miles' life and what he's dealing with before we even touch the multiverse. In my opinion, the movie definitely feels like it's gearing up to a third. Like the movie feels like, oh, this movie exists to be like be the jumping off point for the third. With that being said though, I don't think that's a weak point. I think that's a huge strength of the film because it allows us to really like ruminate and in Miles' character arc, because I don't think he gets a full emotional character arc. So, Because he kind of learned, because he, you know, he wants to be with Gwen and Peter so badly, and then when he finds out that they have the ability to see him and chose not to, and we never really get any emotional, like, climax from that. Like, it just kind of ends it there. But I think that the work that this movie did and spent building up Miles' relationship with his mom and his dad, and how they believe in him, and where he wants to go in the future and how his relationship with Gwen and Peter have grown, I think that this movie kind of being that sort of jumping off point for like the third movie. It's just, it was done so well. <laughs> I and mean, I'm really excited to see how they wrap it up. And uh, Rain mentioned earlier about how like Miles doesn't have a full like emotional character arc, but Gwen does. I think that that kind of like bookended the film really well. And I think that's part of why it worked so well with the characters. And one thing I also want to touch on is this whole like everyone's just accepting like, oh yeah, Miguel right about canon, but if Miguel was right about canon, Earth 42 and 1610 wouldn't exist anymore, because... The canon was changed as soon as the spider went into 1610 and as soon as Peter Parker died in 1610 in the first film. So it just, I'm desperate to learn more about canon and beyond the Spider Verse um, because I think there's just so much that they're not explaining and not telling. I think those are kind of my main takeaways. There's so much in my brain.
0: Absolutely. Like it's it's such a dense film, really. There's so much uh, to it. Uh, v- very briefly, I uh, remember everything I said about Into the Spider Verse, uh, that, but more so. Uh, it's just a really remarkable film I think the one thing That um, notably I wasn't commented on Was the the choreography The fight choreography Particularly vis-a-vis How they use the spot In his combat sequences Just remarkable Just incredible Stuff you can only really do With Spider-Man specifically Um, It's the kind of thing That again makes you So tremendously excited uh, For what they can do With the medium Moving forward uh, The score is remarkable Uh, There's just So much to love here In general That's like the only thing I feel like I need to add Uh, So moving on Let's just go Directly into our Final thoughts
4: Miles' mom's speech earns a uh, mom's rock, baby. We'll be good. Back to you, Ethan.
5: Oh, yeah. Final thoughts, Tim. Um, this is a great time. I'm excited to see where this goes from here. I hope the right lessons are learned in the animation field that, like, animated films can be blockbusters. I work in a warehouse and all of my co-workers are talking about this movie. Go see mm. it. Back to you.
0: Hell yeah. Ring, final thoughts.
5: A very get an early test screening uh, for the first or <laughs> I'll be
1: very upset. Laurel, final <laughs> thoughts.
3: Um, Across the Spider-Verse is an absolute love letter to both Spider-Man and animation and one of the best... Best films that I have ever seen in my life Movie
2: good
0: Hell yeah Austin, <laughs> final thoughts
2: If Beyond sticks the landing this could be the best trilogy Since The Lord of the Rings rules. Cool.
6: Hell yeah Tanner,
2: final thoughts
6: Watching Ethan freak the fuck out when the Bakshi Spider-Man showed up was one of the best parts of watching this movie. And uh, Spider-Man Two is still my favorite Spider-Man movie, but if Beyond sticks the landing, I could very easily see that one becoming my favorite. Back to you, Ethan.
0: Hell yeah! I literally leapt out of my seat. I love Spider-Man Sixty Seven. God bless those beautiful watercolor backgrounds. He almost uh, that, hit me. Uh, I was. I yeah. Oh, uh, I really like the seasons Bakshi directed in particular. They're so weird and fun. But uh, my closing thoughts: uh, just a tremendous film, uh, an animated opus, uh, and I cannot wait for next year fingers crossed to finally go beyond spider dome Uh, but you know who else can't wait to go beyond spider dome who you the viewer watching slash listening to this episode of Bomb Squad Movie Night. Uh, While you're here, be sure to swing on down to like and subscribe if you haven't already and leave a comment on your favorite spider person, expectations for beyond and what sort of public meltdown you'll have in the theater when it's revealed that Miguel is actually Morbius. For those listening on the audio platforms, be sure to rate us five stars, thumbs up, leave a good review if your platform offers that, and for those watching this on Spotify video, we hope you enjoyed the special uncensored version of Bomb Squad Movie Night. Uh, If you did watch it on Spotify video, be sure to swing on down to the Patreon we have, um, where uh, you can just toss us a little bit of money. It would be much appreciated. We'll add uh, things there eventually, maybe, whatever. And be sure to tune in next time as we discuss Nida Manzor's action comedy drama, really exceptional film by all accounts, from 2023, Polite Society, as hosted by
6: Tanner! Yeah, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's one of my favorite movies of the year so far. Uh, A lot different from this one, but it should be just as good of a time to watch. So I hope I see you guys next week.
0: Hell yeah. No. Godspeed, (laughs) Spider-Man. Yeah,
5: I think it's a Banksy.